All right. We are live. Hello, everybody. This is the uh, DM's Deep Dive. That's the name of the show, right? DM's Deep Dive. The yes. DM's Deep Dive. And I am here with my good friend, James Intercasso. James, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, uh, I am James Intercasso, one of the co-founders of the Don't Split the Podcast Network, uh, the writer of worldbuilderblog.me, and creator of several D&D product things, uh, including uh, some products that are currently on the virtual tabletop Roll20. Ah, and and not and of course, so the, the subject of tonight's conversation is uh, uh, how to make the most out of Roll20. But there was an announcement that came out today uh, that I was hoping you could shed a little light on. Can you tell us about the D&D Adept program? Ah, I can, I can. So this is uh, not a Roll20-related uh, thing, but um, essentially uh, they're... Uh, the Wizards of the Coast has uh, looked at 10 D&D content creators and how their stuff has sold on the DMs Guild as well as sort of how they work with Wizards of the Coast in general uh, and has invited them to make content for the Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, so we got, uh, I am one of those creators uh, and I got a early release copy of Tomb of Annihilation uh, and uh, we were told go forth and make content for these things. So some of the projects are collaborations, some of them are solo projects, uh, but even if you see one person's name on a product, uh, we shared them around, we all gave feedback to each other. Um, we were allowed to use art from the product from Tomb of Annihilation in these products as well. And uh, they will all appear on the DMs Guild. A lot of them are going to appear right at launch. So on September 8th, when you can buy the book at your local friendly game store, you can also buy these products on the DMs Guild. And there will be a different group of adepts for every product that comes out. So... <laughs> Xanathar's Guide to Everything will have a different group of creators. It won't always be 10 people. It might be more, it might be less. It all sort of depends. Uh, they're looking at people who uh, are great content creators who they want to work with. Um, so uh, other people, uh, Sean Merwin, yep. who is clearly a, uh, a great designer. Um, Been on the show? Yep. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, DM Deep Diver. Uh, uh, <laughs> Satine Phoenix and Rudy Rittenberg from Maze Arcana uh, are going to uh, to be part of it. Cindy Moore is a part of it. Rich Lacusafair. Uh, there's tons and tons of great people. Will Doyle, uh, who's right. actually one of the designers who worked on the Tomb of Annihilation itself, uh, is also one of these adepts. Um, awesome. So, uh, awesome. yeah, you can check it all out at the Wizards of the Coast website, uh, the announcement, descriptions of products, and, and bios for all of the authors and stuff so yeah it's right. really awesome really really fun that's that's great and congratulations to you they couldn't have picked a better guy i'm very ah, excited thank you thank can't, you can't so. hand you my money fast enough <laughs> um so tonight we're talking about uh so virtual tabletops but also with with kind of a focus on roll 20 um mm -hmm. and we're not going to get into the we're not we're not going to describe roll 20 my my assumption is that if, if anybody wants to find out what roll 20 is hit roll20.net right yep and um, you can learn more about it. And here on this show, we dive deep. We don't cover surface level stuff. We want to really dig deep into this topic. Um, so to begin with, uh, could you explain, uh, as, as I note in the chat, uh, people think it's a little fishy that one of the co-owners of the station is uh, a guest on the show. Could you explain <laughs> why you're on this show? Uh, yes, I can, uh, which is um, uh, I am a DM who likes to dive deep. Uh, but also, uh, essentially, uh, myself, uh, Rudy Basso, who is one of the other co-owners, who is also one of the greatest game masters of all time, uh, and currently running me in a Star Wars game. Uh, we are available for when people drop out last minute or reschedule or that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, I'm here uh, saving your butt. That's why No, I mean, why are you here talking about Roll20? Oh, I'm sorry. What's your Roll20 <laughs> credentials? Now, why are you here on this show? <laughs> uh, so, right. Why am I here talking about Roll20? Um, so, I started using Roll20 around the time of its public launch. 
Um, so I had been playing a fourth edition game uh, with uh, Rudy Basso and Alex Basso, uh, friends of this podcast and uh, people, producers of this podcast, I should say, um, and uh, several other people. Uh, and so we were playing uh, on the old table, the fourth edition table that Wizards of the Coast put out right. uh, that was short-lived. Um, yeah, it was I'm big and it yeah, yeah, it was big, it was clunky, it was optimized for 4E, so that was kind of fun that it did a lot of the math for you, but uh, I was living in Washington, D.C., this was my old college group, they were all spread out through New Jersey, and we thought, there's gotta be, like, a, a faster, more streamlined system, uh, I had a friend tell me about Roll20, uh, and so we tried it out because it was free to try, uh, and... To date, uh, I have 2,124 hours logged. Wow, 2,000. So 2,100. Mm-hmm. So in another 2,900, you'll be an expert. Right, right, okay. exactly. But well, you're, on, I think it's, you're well on your it, That's okay. 7,800? Well, according to Malcolm Gladwell, and, and you know that's a questionable source. Um, <laughs> it's 5,000 hours. Five. Gotcha. No, yeah. I guess it's 10,000. You're right. Yeah, I thought it was 10,000. 10, all so, right, so I'll come work. back in yeah. 8,000 hours. Right. And we'll have another show. We'll have another yeah. show. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll do with what we got. Mm-hmm. So um, you've actually made content for Roll20, though, too, right? You don't just use it. Yeah. So I've done uh, sort of two forms of content creation for them. One is I created an adventure uh, that uses the fifth edition system reference document called the Master's Vault. Uh, it's designed to introduce new players to Roll20 and to 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. So if you've never used either, it's a product that's there for you to do that. It's totally free. Uh, You can download it on the Roll20 Marketplace uh, just by searching the Master's Vault. Um, And you can listen to uh, us play it on Have Spellbook Will Travel. We got some of the cast together. I ran it. Uh, Rudy was part of that group and a couple other members of the cast. It was a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you can check that out as well. You can see us play it on uh, YouTube if you want to as well. I played it. I ran it for Roll20Con. Um, and then the other thing that I've done is I input, uh, once they got their 5th edition license, Storm King's Thunder... The Monster Manual, Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, and Curse of Strahd, and Tales from the Awning Portal into the table to be sold. I was part of a big team, uh, lots of other awesome people, Dean Bigby and Kristen Carlton and mm-hmm. uh, Suzanne Wallace. Uh, all these people were, were big, big helps. There were tons of other people on the Roll20 team who helped, mm-hmm. too. Um, I, I missed it. Did you say Fandelver was in that? Was that was Fandelver uh, in that So I did not... Uh, handle Fandelver directly. Uh, uh-huh. They had that ready to go. A woman named Kristen Carlton, who's now on staff there, actually did that gotcha. pretty much all by herself. I came in for the last like two hours and just looked over it and said, looks pretty great. <laughs> yeah, right. And it really does. Yeah, I, I picked up Fandelver. I was actually uh, poking through it, um, doing some homework for the show. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, and, and I imagine all of the rest. Of it. Actually, I've seen Storm King's Thunder uh, as well. And um yeah, the way that's all laid out is really, really cool. Really. Yes. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's funny because I am on record, if you listen to some of my old podcasts, being like, why would we pay the same amount for a virtual tabletop oh, man, product? Yeah. We've already got the hardcover. Uh, and I can tell you it's because hundreds of hours of work go into every yeah. single one of these. Well, sure. But, you know, we, 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 we DMs, we, you know, we lazy DMs. Uh, <laughs> we're not about the hours. We're about the efficiency. Right. And when you look at what you get from an efficiency perspective, uh, you get a tremendous amount. Like when I when I looked at so I'm not a roll 20. Uh, I'm not a roll 20 player. Um, mm-hmm. But by the way, here at the DMs Deep Dive, we uh, we get Coco delivered. straight. Oh, to nice. Uh, I didn't get mine. If get you that? Could. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I looked at Storm King's Thunder on roll 20 and realize like i don't i don't run on roll 20 but it feels to me like the most complete version of the adventure and it's because storm king's thunder doesn't come with like physical battle maps for every single battle and every single encounter for my home game right but in roll 20 it does you know i've got tokens for every single monster i've got all the monsters already laid out on the tokens i've got stat blocks associated with every one of those tokens i've got everything already all set up and I can't, you know, with the hardcover, I get the book. 
and right. I've got to draw them on a wet erase map or I've got to, you know, you know, I can't, I mean, like how much money would it cost me to take every one of the art assets from Storm King's Thunder and turn it into a battle map? You know, right. it would cost like a thousand, cost like a thousand bucks. <laughs> so, so I think that there's definitely a high value in Absolutely. Uh, the Roll20 version. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, so you've got a lot of experience having played in Roll20. You have a lot of experience having developed for Roll20. Uh, what are your three top tips uh, for people running that are either running Roll20 games or are going to run uh, Roll20 games? So the first thing I would say is uh, get in there and play around with the table. And, and this is uh, true of any virtual tabletop you're going to use, be it Fantasy Grounds or D20 Pro or Roll20. I, I think they're actually all really great. Um, uh, I just have spent most of my time with Roll20 uh, because they are my favorite. Uh, and I have done work for them as well, right? So I want to be honest and upfront about that. Um, you can uh, get a... Uh, so Roll20 is totally free. Uh, you can get in there, start playing around, and try it out. There's a tutorial you can check out. You can pick up the Master's Vault. But that's my first piece of advice is learn it because there is a learning curve to these things. But I would say, uh, as far as that goes, like if you have the time to learn how to play a new RPG like D&D, you have the time to learn how to use one of these tabletops uh, mm -hmm. because they they do have sort of intuitive systems once you get in there and learn how. Um, there's YouTube videos, uh, and, you know, Roll20 now has its own um, sort of YouTube creators who are, like, guys who show you how to make stuff on Roll20 who don't work for Roll20. They just love Roll20 so much they're star they've started to create content for it, right? Um, so that's, that's my big piece of advice is the more you learn, the more you'll be able to sort of teach your players, because we all know players can be very lazy sometimes. Uh, uh, and, uh, so, so get in there, play around, have a good time while you're doing it. Um, and, uh, and learn as much as you can. D20 Pro, I believe has a free 30 day trial. If that's more your bag, uh, Fantasy Grounds, I believe you do have to pay for, uh, although I'm sure I will be corrected in the chat if I am incorrect. Um, and uh, and Roll20, you can pay extra to have some extra features, but I'd say get in there, try them out, and really learn as much about the system as you can before you run your first game. My second piece of advice would be don't worry that you don't know everything about the system that you haven't mastered it, which I know is kind of an opposite piece of advice, but like you can use a virtual tabletop as much or as little as you want. Just because it has a feature that lets you roll dice, if you're comfortable, more comfortable with everybody rolling dice, uh, you know, uh, on their desk while they're playing, then do that. You know what I mean? If you're more comfortable handwriting out your character sheets and having them in front of you, do that. If you're more comfortable with theater of the mind, there's no reason you need to use a map and tokens just because it's there for you. So approach it like you would a D&D &D game. Get to know the rules, understand them well, understand how the system works, but then use whatever you want and then throw out whatever you don't want to use. Um, you know, it's it's there for your convenience. Uh, so those are like the two biggest things. Learn the mm -hmm. system and then don't worry too much about uh, using every single bell and whistle that you can possibly use. Uh, the third thing I would say is give yourself and give your players time to adjust when you are first sitting down. Um, you know, uh, it's weird. It's, it's not the same as sitting at the table with somebody you're, uh, talking into your webcam, uh, you are in your, your home. You might be worried about what your neighbors think of your orc voice. If you're too loud, that kind of thing, give yourself time to adjust. Don't try it once and be like, this is horrendous. It'll never work. You need time to get comfortable. I needed a lot of time to get comfortable. My players needed time. But now it's like we're, we're sitting around the table. You know, the more we do it, the more it becomes. Uh, and then my fourth piece of advice is... Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so this ties into to another thing I think we're going to talk about. But if you're a player or a GM, do your best to stay focused and avoid the temptation <laughs> of the internet that is right there. You said that as a as a GM? Yeah, yeah. I think I think GMs can 
particularly if you have players who like to talk and plan and plot, <laughs> it's very easy for the GM to decide to check Twitter or Facebook. Yeah, so or like, hey, uh, if you could go ahead and tell me the backstory of your character. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But imagine the screens in front of you. So it's a lot easier. It's know, very easy to be tempted. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so two dis I have two disclaimers. Um, one disclaimer is that I am biased towards Roll20 uh, yeah, for a couple reasons. One is because I know you've done a lot of work with Roll20. Uh, and also Richard Zayas, who's one of the owners of Roll20, uh, has been a regular at my at my home game. I've dragged him away from his own Roll20 version and actually had him rolling real dice at a real table. Um, so, uh, uh, so he's a friend of mine and, and, and therefore I'm biased. Uh, the other disclaimer is I'm, I'm very sorry to those who are watching to have to watch me drink cocoa and get a big, uh, whipped cream mustache. Uh, but the embarrassment is worth, uh, the, the taste of the cocoa. So you're just going to have, you're just going to have to live with it. Um, yeah, those, those are really great. Um, so let's dig into the, the issue of, uh, uh, attention. Um, okay. how, so, so obviously as a, as a, as a DM, we can kind of persevere not to hit the web, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I know, so so just sharing kind of a personal experience, like I'm a, you know, however good a DM I am, I'm a better DM than I am a player, mostly because when I DM, I don't have time to give attention to anything other than the game. Like I'm I'm so busy with all of the various, you know, the, the seven ring circus of, of d and I can't imagine pulling out my phone and hitting Twitter. Right. It's right. all I can do to grab my phone to take a picture of something on the table just so I have like a little memento of it. Um, and I, I, you know, so, but I could certainly see that like if, if a player, if a couple of players are into a big role playing session and you're sitting there with, you know, your, the, the entire internet available to you, you might say, well, I'm just going to check Twitter real quick. Oh, what's this link? You know, oh, look at the dog that's on the skateboard. <laughs> so, um, but I, but I imagine, I know that as a player, I am very easily distracted. You know, mm -hmm. when I'm one seventh of the attention instead of, you know, 50% of the attention, um, it's very easy for me to go like, oh, we're in combat and I just took my turn. I think I'm going to go hit Twitter. Uh, there's a little bit of a social uh, uh, stigma to that when you're at a physical table, although apparently right. it doesn't stop anybody at my table. But um how what what can a DM do when running World Twenty to try to help keep people's attention on the game? That was the longest question I've ever asked. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's a great question, and to be honest, uh, I I know that I have not fully mastered this yet uh, after two thousand hours in the table. Um, but uh, the I'd say the big thing is uh, the same way you engage your players at the table you need to ramp that up, right? So if you you have your player who's the butt kicker, right? They love slaying things, the slayer. Uh, you want to make sure you've got combat for, for that player. If you've got a player who likes scheming and planning, you want to make sure you've got that. So I try to make sure that I have those things in every single session, right? The, the same way we do. But uh, what's important to me is that we sort of make it around to all of those things that each player likes. And I'm lucky because my group has a lot of overlapping interests. You know, I have a lot of, uh, it's a lot of theater friends from college. So a lot of them are very big into the role playing, right? Um, uh, and so I make sure we do that because uh, I have run a lot of campaigns. Uh, I ran two fifth edition one to 20 campaigns and one fourth edition one through 30 on roll 20. Hmm. Um, in addition to a myriad of one shots and other things. And I've also played uh, a lot, you know, Rudy runs our star Wars game that I mentioned mm -hmm. on there. Um, and so I try to think about what do these players want? How can I keep them engaged? Uh, you know, at first I was leaning on a lot of combat because the table lets you do that so well, lets you drag in a map very easily and drag in tokens very easily. Um, and I think for some of the players, that made it way easier for them to check their stuff when it wasn't their turn, mm -hmm. right? Um, so, so now what I do is I make sure that I have combat because I do have players who like it. Alex Basso, who's listening right now. Um, and uh, and then I, I have players who are more into the role-playing aspect, and I try to make sure we get that and that we have choices that they need to make so that it is uh, important for them to pay attention because the choices 
are not always black and white, right? They can be harder um, ion wave style choices uh, that, uh, that, you know, uh, do we destroy the world this way or do we do it this way, right? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's that kind of thing is uh, really making sure you know what your players like and keeping that engagement up. Uh, and also getting your players involved in other ways. Um, so I always, whenever I play on Roll20, I volunteer to take story notes that I share with everybody uh, else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, because it keeps me you, as a player. You have a commitment from, now. Yeah. So I have to pay attention even when it's not my turn to do stuff, right? Right. Um, and also making your characters invest in each other is important so that way people are curious when it's like okay you know thog the barbarian is going to go have a conversation with his wife who we didn't know he had a wife and now he's back with his tribe you know like uh if the players are invested in thog they'll want to see what happens in that scene even if they aren't active mm -hmm. members of it so it's trying to keep up that form of engagement i heard um i've actually heard a couple people who run live streams say this that something big needs to happen every 15 minutes in a game. Uh, Celeste of the Venture Maiden said that on, uh, on our panel. I've heard Rudy Rutenberg say that before, who runs Maze Arcana. Mm. Uh, I try to stick to that, uh, even though I don't live stream my games, um, mm -hmm. because the players are also part of the audience who are helping tell this story. So, uh, And then it helps them also create big moments on their own without me being the one to always initiate that. Every 15 uh, minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's a lot of people walking through a lot of doors with a lot of guns in their hands. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, it's not necessarily kicking in the door every time, right? It could be right. uh, a reveal that... Hey, the room's on fire. Or, Again. Right. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And if everybody's engaged, you know, if that 15-minute right. mark comes up and everybody's engaged, then just keep rolling with that. Don't ruin a good thing. Uh, so yeah yeah it's a lot easier because i don't have a faceless audience on the other side i can see everybody and i know who's engaged and who's uh surfing uh facebook or or playing uh you know uh rocket league or that kind of thing <laughs> is there a uh, is there an a, ideal number of players that helps keep that kind of the lens of attention and, and is that different than what you would have at a at a normal table uh, I think it's about the same four or five people is really ideal. You can do six uh, right. or seven, um, but it starts to get really unwieldy, particularly in combat as, you know, right. it takes longer for your turn to come up. Right, right. Yeah, I would, I would, I would think, you know, I've only, I mean, I think I've ran like two sessions and I think you were in both. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it would seem to me like four, yeah, four would be, I mean, I guess four is kind of my ideal overall. But I would feel like I would want slightly fewer in an online game than I would in a physical, but maybe not. Maybe it wouldn't matter. Right, right. Uh, but I, although I am playing currently in a seven uh, PC game on Roll20 right. uh, run by my friend Andrew Kane, uh, and he's doing a great job uh, keeping us invested in each other, right? It's a lot easier to keep the characters invested in each other when there's only four of them as well. Yeah, uh, right. So, <laughs> um, yeah. what? Uh, so, so I'm, I'm a lazy game master, right? I don't, I don't like putting a lot of work into things. And sometimes when I look at roll 20 and I see, uh, sort of all of the options for maps and fog of war and, um, to you know, setting up tokens and putting stat blocks to tokens, it's like, Oh my God, you know, my home game, I put like three lines on a three and a half, you know, a three by five note card and I'm done. And there it's going to take me four hours to set up a game for, for Roll20. Is that a misconception on my part? And, and what can a lazy, how can a lazy game master make the most out of Roll20? Sure. Well, and like I said, there is a little bit of a learning curve for all of these virtual tabletops, right? As you go in and, and sort of make that happen. Uh, so particularly the first thing I would stress is is that tip number two that I gave, right? Yeah. Um, you can do theater of mind of the mind on a virtual tabletop. I was asking people today kind of what their tips are and they were like, oh man, you gotta you gotta buy a module because it's too hard to put the maps in yourself or that kind of thing. Um, I would say do, play your game how you normally play it. If what you normally do is you scribble out a map, uh, 
you know, there's an option to do that in Roll20 and all virtual tabletops where you can just uh, scribble out, here's a road, here's some trees, and people can throw their tokens down and go. You don't need to worry about statting the tokens. You don't need to worry about um, dynamic lighting. You don't need to worry about all that kind of stuff if you don't want to. You can draw the map as you go just mm -hmm. as you would if you were using a wet erase map or, or that kind of thing. Um, you can use no map. It's super easy to do theater of the mind. If all you want to do is use roll 20 as a way to like track a few things and you want to roll dice and you can do that. Uh, and so my advice for a lazy dungeon master would be uh, each time you play, try incorporating one new thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, tonight, because we're, it's a boss battle, I'm going to try throwing down one of these battle maps. And I'm going to take five minutes and look through the battle maps and see what they have and bring it on. Okay, you know what? Tonight, I'm going to stat out the main villain's token and mm -hmm. see how that goes. Roll20 does make it super easy. They have SRD integration. Mm -hmm. So even if you haven't purchased the monster manual or, uh, you know, an adventure or that kind of thing, you can still pull spells onto your character sheet if they're in the SRD. You mm -hmm. can pull monsters right onto a token. It's as simple as opening up a, a character sheet, like a blank character sheet, dragging the word goblin from the SRD, and goblin populates. And then you just link the token to that, and you're ready to go. Um, you know, but learning how to do that does take a little bit of time. So rather than saying... I've got to have my map set up with dynamic lighting, with every single token statted, uh, you know, with traps and invisible creatures on hidden layers and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Like, you're, you're trying to do too much. You know, look at Fandelver as far as it teaches people to play D&D, &D, right? It starts right. out with, like, here's some goblins, and right. they're going to fight you. Right. I give yourself the same luxury, learn it a little bit at a time, and then build on what you learn. Um, right. So that's how I would do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, so what are, what are areas where you think people get stuck uh, running Roll20? <laughs> where do, uh, yeah, so I definitely... You've mentioned a few already. Yeah. Um, but like where, where... So I guess trying to do too much, you know, we've talked trying about... Trying to do too much is, um, is a big one. Uh, and then also sort of getting bogged down in the in the technology of it all, right? Um, I think uh, every person when they play Roll20 at first questions uh, the randomization sequence because they'll roll two ones in a row and think, well, this is it. You know, the, the, in the fairness, work. I, yeah. So when when um, uh, when Richard Zayas came to to our group and he was mm -hmm. using Roll20 as his dice roller at our table. And I'm like, hang on a second here. How do I know that that's really random? And he like mailed me the URL that shows like this incredible scientific study of how they determine the randomness of D20s in, in Roll20. You know, the atomic, <laughs> the atomic random number generator that they use. It was absolutely hysterical. And I, I was like, let me guess, you've had this question before. And he's like, oh, yeah, we've had, we get that question all the time. Right, exactly. Yeah, so they track their their roles. There's actually a public website right. where you can go see what the last D20 rolls were, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's millions and millions and millions of D20 rolls. Yeah. It's yeah. probably far more accurate than any physical D20 we have. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, but I, I do think there's, uh, that's really the biggest thing is is getting caught up doing too much and then also getting bogged down in the, like, how do I invite players to games? How do I, uh, you know, do the things that make it necessary to play, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't play unless you invite your your people to a table. And well, I want to use tokens, but I need to figure out how to assign players tokens. It puts uh, it front loads a little bit more work on the GM if you're going to try to do everything at once. Which is why I say, you know, at first try to just do one thing. Maybe that first thing you're going to do is just invite people to the table, uh, you know, and, and you'll use dice and print it out character sheets and everything and, and slowly build from there. Uh, and I also think people can uh, get stuck sometimes. This is sort of a different thing. Roll20 has a big public board where people can find other groups to play with. You know, they'll, they'll advertise because... It's a virtual tabletop, right? It's safe if you're playing with weirdos. You can just leave immediately. <laughs> um, 
uh, Roll20 sort of uh, lets people find each other and find games, and there is a little bit of a problem there with people saying they'll play a game and not showing up. Oh, yeah? uh, just as if you were to have a sign-up sheet at your local friendly game store, somebody might show up for the first two sessions and then disappear right. on you. Right, right? and not, and not um, tell you why. Yeah. yeah, and to that I would say, just like you should at your local friendly game store, uh, just persevere, keep posting, eventually you're going to find a solid group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah so a couple things that you that you talked about on like um which features to use and particularly for a lazy dm um mm-hmm. you know what uh, uh to kind of bring one feature in at a time and it occurs to me that we had uh, uh will jones from and encounter our role play was on the show and he uses roll 20 exclusively yeah. and also runs theater of the mind exclusively because he's a guy that runs 40 hours of D a week so exactly. he's like, yeah, I don't have time to find a map. You know, you no, get me. No. Um, and it and it and it you know it feels like for him it's essentially a glorified dice roller, like it's a shared dice rolling app. You know, and that's you know he'll he'll use it to share pictures and he'll use it to um, you know as the 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 you know for for the chat and and I presume I don't know if he uses it for the actual like video and audio feeds. Um, and beyond that, it could just be use it for the dice. So the idea that you can use it like for a small a feature as you want and then sort of expand from there i always think of it as like this great big thing with this great big you know gridded map thing and i'm not a big gridded map guy so it's like oh i don't but it you know you can use as much as you want and that that makes a yeah. lot of sense um, yeah and i learned that from him you know uh I, I was watching him and i was like oh yeah oh yeah yeah you don't have to use this like this if you don't want to of course it's so simple you know um so but it took me uh, three years to figure that out after watching. Yeah, and I think maybe it kind of throws you in the deep end, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you you launch it for the first time, and it gives you the gridded map, and it gives you all these features, and you're like, oh, yeah, I got to learn all this stuff. And it's like, actually, just see that little thing on the right? You could just work with that. Like, you know, exactly. really know the rest of it. Exactly. Um, so uh, kind of a trick question here. Uh, how can somebody use D&D Beyond with Roll20? Uh, that that is... A good question. Uh, so again, you can use as much or as little as Roll20 as you want. So let's say you've bought the Monster Manual uh, in D&D Beyond, and you haven't bought it in Roll20. Um, you can look up your creature stats there, uh, and if you want to enter them into a token, you can enter them manually, or if they're part of the SRD, right, drag them over. Um, uh, and I... Don't know if this is true at the moment, but I know Roll20 has an open character sheet system. Hmm. Uh, Anybody can submit a character sheet to Roll20 if they want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know that D&D Beyond has done that yet. I don't think they have Uh, an export for characters. I think the, the best you can get is you can get a PDF of your character sheet. Yeah, and I think, but but word on the street is they're teaming up with Fantasy Grounds uh, oh, really? to to have some integration there. Oh, okay. um, so that you know that was uh, something that uh, the Fantasy Grounds people have said, um, and uh, you know, but I know if they wanted to create something for Roll Twenty that could have a little more integration, they sort of have the option of doing that. But yeah, if you've got D and D Beyond. And you really want to be able to integrate it. Um, that's kind of going to be the way. I am not super familiar with D and D Beyond actually, uh, because I have so much on Roll Twenty. Right. Um, and I, I think so, we are. Yeah, I think we are kind of hitting this. Um, you know, I mean, for good or ill, right? I think I know a lot of people who have said, uh, you know, I already have. I'm already invested in one of the tools. I really don't want to pay all that money again to be invested in another. Many of them are saying, I already bought the physical books and now I have to buy this digital thing too. And yeah, <laughs> I get a deal, but it's still not that good a deal, right? And then other people, right. are, you know, I heard Will Will Jones again was kind of like, look, I already have all my stuff in Roll20. I don't want to have to buy it again in D&D Beyond. And it's like, well, maybe that, you know, he's probably not the primary customer for D&D Beyond if he already bought everything Roll20. Um, right. I could right. see and like, I- you know the one the one thing that I think would be worth buying in Roll Twenty, even if you have it in every other format, is probably the Monster Manual, just mm-hmm. so you get all those tokens, right? All the tokens with all the associated stat blocks, so that yeah. if I want a Balor or a Lich or a Mind Flayer or a Beholder, I can grab that right out of my copy of the Monster Manual and drop it into my game. You know that that you know the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Player's Handbook material and things to make characters and adventures. Well, 
Adventures would probably be the other thing, right? I'd probably want to buy right. a roll twenty if I plan on running in a roll twenty. So yeah, I wonder- yeah, and they're still they're still filling out the back catalog, right? The player's handbook isn't there yet. In is that uh, right? In, in roll twenty. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they don't have a uh, a character builder uh, at the moment in Roll20. Uh, gotcha. So I think it's sort of like they want to have that infrastructure, and then they're going to bring in the player's handbook so that it's not just, hey, here's a player's handbook that you get the information for, but they want to be able to to sort of do stuff with. So I think that's a, that's a big part of it. The other thing is the Monster Manual being there is great because you can also still use it like D&D Beyond. It shows up in a wiki-style compendium. Right. Um, so, yeah, you get the, the tokens and stat blocks that you can drag over, but uh, if I'm at my computer writing up an adventure and I just want to look up, like, uh, what a beholder's stats are, I can look that up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't I don't have to get up and... Uh, uh, it's a literal lazy dungeon mastering. Uh, I don't have to get up and... and <laughs> I, can, up I, can, I can do one lazier, which is I don't think I could do that on my phone. Right, right. And I can look, you know, the, the reason I bought the D&D Beyond version is because I can load it up on my phone. So now exactly. I, I literally, I bring this to my, you know, local game shop and I'm all set. Yeah. Uh, which which was one reason that I, again, love Roll20, but it was one reason why I sort of dove into D&D Beyond. Oh, um, totally. Was, and that's a, and, that's and a I, great thing to be able to, to do that uh, because you can't, with Roll20 at the moment, have all of that stuff on your phone. Right, right. But um, I, I, I think it, I, so I, you know, I think it's going to be one of these things we struggle with that we now have all of these sort of segmented versions of the same material on all these different platforms. It, I think it's really nice. It feels like it's really nice that, you know, we can have all our character. If people have characters in D&D Beyond, you can still run your character in D&D Beyond and then just roll dice and roll 20. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but but I think there is going to be this struggle on, you know, people will buy the version of it in the platform that they tend to spend the most time in, which is probably exactly how it should be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's also a question of, you know, who who gets a license when, who comes out with what content we want most digitally when and, and that sort of thing. So, right, right, right. Um, you know, and I, again, I think if if what happens is people buy a bunch of digital products across a bunch of platforms that's only good for everybody, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, right. uh, I, I, as if, if Fantasy Grounds and D&D Beyond and Roll20 and D20 Pro, who just got a Wizards of the Coast license, yeah. are all making money off of this, then right. that's a great thing because those are great RPG companies that are all right. uh, proving to Wizards of the Coast that digital products are a viable thing they should invest in. Right. So that's great. So why don't we take some questions from our from our audience? We had a bunch of questions on Twitter earlier. We have a bunch of people on Twitch. Um, Alex, do you have any questions for us? Yeah. Hey, I'm here. Uh, hey. So, yes, thanks. Thanks for everybody who's been chatting in uh, Twitch chat. A lot of great discussion. Thank you again for the questions. Uh, so first I'll ask, here's one from Twitter. Uh, this is from at Wildbones, uh, and it kind of it's about the random groups that are being formed on Roll Twenty. He asks, uh, "Lots of GMs are going the route of pay to play to counter players mm-hmm. from disappearing. What are your thoughts on this?" What do you think, James? Uh, so I mean, it's nice work if you can get it right. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, I think that's a it's sort of a an interesting concept to say. Uh, I am going to run a great game, and so in order for me to do that, uh, you have to pay me for this service, uh, and then uh, I'll I'll run the game for you. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, Dungeon Masters getting paid to a point, right? Like, I, I don't think... Uh, do does every dungeon master deserve to be paid? Uh, the answer is yes for most of them, right? They do a ton of work, um, and they're taking time out of their day. But at the same point, like for me, the prep of the game is very fun, right? Um, and so I I don't think like man, I should be paid when I'm doing this. Uh, but if I was prepping for a group of strangers who continually didn't show up week after week and had, you know, I had spent a lot of time on it. I could see the temptation to uh, to get pay for play. Uh, I honestly didn't realize that was becoming so much bigger of a phenomenon than it is. So uh, I don't know that uh, I have, like, the best or most articulate 
answer for that. Um, but for me, again, it, it's okay. If people are choosing to do that, great. Uh, just make sure you feel comfortable with the GM if you're a player before you start giving them fistfuls of money. Um, so uh, that is that is what I would say. But again, you pay when you when you go to a convention, you pay for every single game too. Uh, so think of it that way. Yeah, there's uh, the the idea of paid dungeon masters and, and quote unquote professional dungeon masters is something I'm starting to see more of on um, you know things like the Facebook D and D group and some other places. People have brought it up as something that they're starting to do, and I think it could be I think it could be something that we're going to see. Uh, you know, could potentially become more more common and could be great if the DM really gets behind it and says like, okay, you know, I'm getting paid to run a four hour game. I'm going to make it the best damn game I can run. Yeah, so yeah, we'll start to see uh, Yelp reviews, right? For yeah, somebody just brought that up in the chat. Like, how, oh, how, yeah. how do we rate them? And you're like, yeah, look, if you're paying them, you should absolutely rate them. You know? Yeah, yeah, which is again, there's we could talk about rating systems and and uh, get into that, but that is a yeah, different right. boring podcast. Well, and the, and the issue I think with with DMs in particular, particularly if you start putting ratings on DMs, is from what I understand, I don't, I don't, you know me, I like to have data on it, and I don't really have data on this, um, so I'm going to throw out there as a possibility. But I've, I have heard that there is usually uh, not enough DMs for players. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that something they find in, in Roll Twenty? Is that do, do you know if that's a, a common issue? Uh, I th- so that was sort of one of the ideas behind the Master's Vault, right? Was to help new people learn how to dm and and that sort of thing so i think that's true yeah uh everywhere not just in uh i've heard it i've heard it as the common problem of dungeons and dragons overall i of course have never experienced this problem because i dm the games but you know i I have heard that (laughs) that more more people have trouble finding dms than they do players if you put alex what else you got all right here's a question from johnny utah 99 in twitch chat he asks uh, he asks, how necessary do you think good quality camera and mics are? Oh, uh, so uh, it, a good quality mic and camera are as necessary as they are if you were playing video games with your friends. You don't need streaming quality. If you've got a webcam that can pick up your voice and you've got a set of uh iphone like earbuds that you would use on your iphone uh that is gonna probably uh be really fine built-in laptop uh cams work well a lot of people play this stuff on their laptop so you don't need to have like an uber system ready to roll uh it does help if you're the dm if you've got a bigger monitor so you can manage different things at once but yeah uh i would say Headphones that come with your smartphone are usually good enough quality as far as uh, mic goes, um, and then you can, you know, uh, use whatever your your built-in camera is, and that should be totally fine. Alex, what other questions do we have? <laughs> okay, here's one from Shortmanian444 in Twitch chat. Uh, he wants to know what what has been your most diverse party location-wise uh, in Roll Twenty or any virtual tabletop. Ah, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, uh, location-wise, what's been the craziest? Uh, I know, hmm, so I participated in Roll20Con, where they get people sort of from all over the country to do stuff, and I had people in... Uh, on the West Coast and in Mountain Time and in uh, Chicago Time. What's that? Central Time? Central Time. Uh, uh, and uh, on the Eastern Seaboard. I'm trying to think, have I ever run Roll20 with someone who is out of the country? Uh, I don't think so, although uh, we d- have had people in our regular group who have sort of been abroad have uh, have tuned in. Uh, uh, I know our friend Ray uh, was uh, in Europe, backpacking through Europe, and he would occasionally uh, show up uh, in our stream and everything. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I think as far as, I think that's it. Alex, am I wrong? <laughs> Ray out of the country seems to be the most diverse, probably, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. As far as location goes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I played in Will Jones's game, and he's a he's a Brit. Yeah. And, you know, that that there was no problems there. Everything was it was a lot of fun to do. I think time zone things is the only concerns, right? People right. that are twelve hours out of sync, it's going to be harder harder to run with. But yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. But I think I think Will Jones runs games 24 hours a day, so it's never a problem dropping into one of his games. <laughs> right, totally, totally. Alex, yeah. what else you got? Uh, here's one from Twitter. Uh, it's at Dank at Dank Dungeons TV. Uh, what's more important <laughs> to you as a DM? Setting the scene with details or RPing the NPCs? Hmm. Mike, I'll let you take this one first. Uh, I will go with the NPCs, and I will, I will, I will, I will say that for two reasons. Um, one of them is I ran a recent Facebook poll on what of the three pillars people enjoy the most, and it was sixty percent of the respondents said they enjoy NPC interaction more than either combat or role playing, and then the other. Combat and role playing were, I'm sorry, combat and exploration were split about 20% between the two of them. Um, so that's one reason is people, you know, from, from that study. And that was, was like six or 700 people that responded to that. So it's, a, you know, not totally statistically significant and, you know, and, and also a somewhat biased group. Um, however, I think that's not a bad gauge. And, uh, the other reason is that you're will you're focusing on the players, right? You're focusing on the characters. The more you're focused on NPCs, you know, people. I think we we probably spend way more time than we need uh, discussing or you know, you know describing places and when when we ought to be doing. I would answer with characters, James. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel this the same way. Um, I in fact uh, I know this is the case because uh, I have more fun. Uh-oh. Uh, for the NPCs. I know this because sometimes I will leave details out in my descriptions of things, and I'll have to circle around and be like, oh yeah, there was also a big pond in the middle of this room that I forgot to mention. Um, you know, uh, and now you're you're stepping in it. Uh, whereas uh, characters and, and role-playing, I think, is just more fun for me as the DM, and it's definitely more fun, uh, it seems, for, for my group um, than the, the detail setting the scene uh, one reason i like to i like to role play npcs is because uh when it comes to details i can sometimes uh leave some stuff open and the players can set that in right like you can say like oh there's uh, something important in this room what is it what is this room's light source it's a fireplace it's a lantern hanging from the ceiling you know it's a torch in a wall sconce uh and that that helps me know like this is kind of the game the players want to play. So I like to role play the NPCs because that's more fun for me. And then I like to lazy dungeon master and let them come up with some of the details. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to throw in just a little advertisement for uh, the last stream we did with Matt Mercer, who where mm-hmm. we spent an, an, an entire, basically a full hour talking about how to bring, you know, bring the most life to the NPCs that we run. So if you're interested, particularly in NPCs, that's up on YouTube and you can watch that video. Oh yeah, not that, to, not that James's uh, opinion doesn't matter because it totally does. But. Yeah, I meant you to thank you for having me on after Matt Mercer. Well, um, no, right. it was a great warm up for me. Got to have you like know? up and down, up and down beats, you know. <laughs> Got to you know cycle through or <laughs> people think too much of the show. Um, <laughs> sorry, you know I love you, James. I do, I, I do. Yes, of course. Um, well, let's 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 have uh, one more question and then we'll call it a night here. Okay, here's this one's from Sarah Lowell uh, on Twitch. He asks, uh, "Do you feel like you have less control over the game as DM because of the virtual aspect?" Uh, he's had games where people are constantly moving their tokens and everyone's throwing <laughs> out di- uh, ro- dice rolls randomly and asking them for to be counted. <laughs> uh. So uh, I'll I'll tackle this one first because I play in a game with Sayer Lull. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I do think that, uh, that that can be a little distracting, uh, particularly if somebody is drawing dicks all over the place uh, <laughs> when they're supposed to be playing, uh, which is definitely a thing that can happen that I have been guilty of. Um, but uh, uh, so I do think... Um, just like playing a game at the table, uh, a really important thing for virtual tables is having player buy-in and having players respect the GM and letting the GM have control of the game. Um, you know, the same way you don't want to be, don't be a dick and don't draw dicks. 
That's what I'm going to say. Uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, like, I'm not sure if you've seen the players at my table who <laughs> will build giant dicks out of Dwarven Forge. So, <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I'm so glad I invested as much money as I did in a Dwarven Forge so they could use it to make a giant dick. But Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the dice towers and the, you know. The yeah, exactly. Those are the equivalents of dice towers. And, <laughs> yeah, that could happen, Right, that can happen both virtually and uh, and 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 physically. I think. Yeah, the hard thing is that if somebody reaches for your dwarven forge uh, or slap their hand, draw all over it, you can pull them out away. You can't really do that as much in roll twenty. That's um, true. <laughs> yeah. Although what you can do, uh, this is my my tip is you can actually separate players and put them on separate game screens. So if somebody is drawing dicks, you can always just put them on their <laughs> own your, screen. Go, go to your dick screen. Yeah, yeah. Let oh, them move the, tokens that's around that's to their heart's content. Yeah, right. <laughs> and while you're at it, why don't you just go join another game? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Well, James, this has been a wonderful show. Uh, I really appreciate you coming and bringing the experience that you've had with Roll20. I think uh, uh, I, I have a feeling that playing virtually is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, my last, My last kind of you know, my last look at it, it, it felt like about 20% of games that are taking place, I'm making up. I'm not making up a statistic. It could be flawed, but I don't think it's that flawed. Um, that about 20% of players are now playing on, on virtual tabletops, which I think is a, uh, a big deal. And, and I think it's going to grow from there for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, so I, I appreciate you coming on to talk about the topic. I appreciate your experience. And uh, I want to thank Alex. Alex, thanks for all the hard work. Thanks for getting things fired back up again. Uh, thanks for moderating the questions. Thanks for all the work that you do ahead of time. You make it much easier for a lazy guy like me to just come on and and, and run our silly show. And and thanks to all the people that stuck around in the chat channel. And thanks to everybody that put questions on Twitter. Um, if, if you missed any part of the show, you will be able to find this on the podcast on the Don't Split the, Don't Split the Podcast Network. And also, mm. uh, it will be available up on YouTube. Yes. Uh, thank you all very much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mike. And uh, want to encourage people while we're here to check out some of the other great podcasts on Don't Split the Podcast Network. Um, we've got great actual plays like Dames and Dragons. We've got Venture Maidens. Uh, we've got Tabletop Apple. We've got Game O'Clock, where you can get more Alex Basso goodness uh, and how Spellbook will travel. Uh, so check out the other shows on the network. Where can people find you? Oh, people can find me on Twitter uh, at twitter.com slash James. Oh, well, that's oh, my wedding ring dice. fell off my finger. Um, people can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash James Intracasso. And uh, they can also find me at worldbuilderblog.com. Excellent. And anybody can find me over at twitter.com slash Sly Flourish or on my website, slyflourish.com. Thank you all very much.